I want to uh, ask you to think with me for a moment about, um, about birth announcements. We have a family uh, in, our, in our church that just had a baby recently. And I mean, did you think about some of the questions that you might have wanted to ask them? Some of the questions that you would have had um, about that, about that uh, child and about that birth? Um, maybe, maybe if you're like me, you just wanted to know that it actually happened and that it was a boy or a girl. And, and after that, you were, you were pretty well satisfied. But if you're like my wife, what you wanted to hear was, okay, what is the baby's name, first and last, and how is it spelled, and um, what were the details of the birth, when did it happen, um, what was the size of the baby, what was its weight and height, and what color are its eyes, or if, did it have a lot of hair or not, um, how is mommy doing, right? You, wanna, you want more details. And a good birth announcement is going to give you those details, it's going to tell you about the parents. It's going to tell you its name and its significance. It's going to tell you about what's going on with the family at the time. It's going to tell you if it's a boy or a girl and, and how much it weighs and, and how, how much its length was. You're going, to, you're going to get all of those details in a good birth announcement. Well, that's actually what Isaiah chapter 9 really is all about. Isaiah chapter 9 is a birth announcement. It's announcing the birth of this one who is going to rule, who is going to reign, who is going to be um, a, who's going to sit on the throne of David. And this announcement of a child born, of a son given, is going to change everything for the people receiving that announcement. And it'll change us as well as we prepare for the birth of this son. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 together. Follow along with me as I read it aloud. Beginning at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, this is your word to us and we ask that you will give us understanding into it. Help us to know what it is we should know and to obey the way you've called us to obey. God, we ask for your help. We ask for your comfort. Um, we ask for your wisdom. 
we want you to speak and to do something today that only you can do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, the, the message and the focus, the theme of this message today I want us to, to think about is joy. In this passage, we have, a, uh, we have several images that come out at us. The first one, um, the first one should be somewhat familiar in that we, we dwelt on the subject of light and darkness last week. And in this passage in Isaiah, um, the same subject comes up. Uh, people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them has light shone. And this is a, this is a big part of this particular, th- th- this particular prophecy. But in verse 3, we see that, that, that God has multiplied or increased the joy of the nation. And that the people rejoice in different ways. And we find out why. We look at all of these things and we find out why. And I thought about this as the subject of joy because, and I wanted to touch on this in this passage and, and try to relate it to joy because uh, we, we, have a, we are at a time of the year where we talk about joy a lot. Where we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And we have little things on our trees or on our decorations in our house that say joy and we think about joy during the Christmas season but what is it that Isaiah wanted them to to experience in regards to joy and why did they want why did he want them to have joy He's talking about joy, he's, and he's talking about how the sun is going to come, and how the sun is going to bring them joy, and cause them to rejoice. So, how do we prepare? How do we prepare for his coming? And how do we apply joy to our lives? Is it something that we can just kind of muster up from our, from our feelings? Let's look at it. Let's look at, I want to look at three ways that we can express joy. And the first one is that we can express joy in that we no longer walk in darkness, but we have the light. And that's that first, the, the, that first verse that we were looking at in verse 2. When, he, when Isaiah tells the people, uh, tells them, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. What is this light? The light is the light of the glory of God that is shining in them. We looked at, we looked at that subject in great de- detail last week, and, and, al- and almost the, this verse kind of encapsulates last week's message. And we saw, in, saw last week that J- Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, declared himself to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me, will no longer walk in darkness. And this is the light of the Messiah who has come into the world. What is this darkness? We, uh, <laughs> we uh, come into a... a, a, a whenever we come into <clears throat> a, uh, our house, after we come home from a trip or something like that, everything's dark, everything's quiet, right? And with just a... a flip of the switch, the light comes on and we can see. Something, something strange and something, you know, magical happens, right? Because the electricity's working. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, let there be light. 
we flip the switch and we have light. And we can see what we're doing. And we can see where we're going. Um, it's amazing when we try to navigate the darkness without light. A couple years ago, I was trying to do that very thing. Came into my bedroom late at night, probably after staying up half the night writing a paper. And I walk into the bedroom and uh, I tried to walk around the bed, get to my side of the bed. And as I did so, I stepped on something. And it caused me to launch my, the full weight of my body onto the very end post, the, 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 the corner of my bed frame. Or, well, not bed frame, but, you know, the end board, right? The, the footboard? Yeah, okay. And, uh, and after doing that, um, after hitting that thing, I cried out in pain. I fell on the ground. I yelled out, and then suddenly... You know, Cheryl wakes up and she goes, what is going on? And I am on the ground just, just hollering out in pain. I've never experienced something quite like that. And once the lights came on, once Cheryl turned the light on, I could, we could see what we were doing. I found, I discovered that I had, I had and thank goodness the uh, footboard was r- relatively flat and there wasn't like a kind of a, you know, shaft sticking up out of the corner of it because that could have been dangerous but uh, I ended up with a wound on the side of my back that lasted for you know weeks weeks and weeks Um, and that's the kind of experience I think that people walking in darkness have over and over again Um, they don't know where they're going you know bad things happen um If you're walking through the woods in the middle of the dark, or if you're running through the woods in the middle of the dark, which I've done a few times in my life, um, you you begin to realize how amazing the light is. Um, When you can't see your hand in front of your face. Well, Isaiah is telling the people, have joy. You can have joy. You can express joy. You can experience this because you're no longer walking in this darkness. For us, for us who are on the other side of the cross, the darkness is not just a, it's not just a, a physical existence that we're walking in. It becomes for us a metaphor of life and death. I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul tells the people there in that passage, he tells them that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Once we walked in our sins, we were dead in our sins. In, other, in another place, we, uh, John talks about that being the darkness, the darkness that we walk in in our sins. And Jesus came to bring us out of the darkness and into the light. Move from death to life. I wonder how we can, ex- how we can experience joy in that or express our joy in that. If, God, if that's really happened to us. 
For those of us who are no longer in darkness, but we are in the light. What would that mean for us? How would we live our lives? Well, we, we should live in the light of the gospel every day of our lives. We should live lighting that candle every day. Or turning on that switch every day. So that we can see rightly who we are and what we are in Christ. I think if we were to live like that, it would probably cause us to, to rejoice regularly and express that joy to other people. Um, I had a couple of chances to witness this week to tell people about my faith, tell people about Jesus. And, and there was something kind of strange about it. When I was doing that, I was actually happy and enthusiastic about it. I actually felt like, this is, this is real good stuff. I, I, I believe this, and I love Jesus, and, and there's, there, this, is, this is important. And I think part of having joy is living daily in the gospel and applying it to our lives so that when we're telling other people about how great Jesus is, we actually, they, they, they actually hear us believe it. Because we're no longer walking in darkness. We're walking in the light. And we can have joy. We also rejoice. And we not only express joy or rejoice that we are not in darkness, but we're walking in the light. But we also express joy in that we're no longer oppressed. Look at, look at the next few verses with me. Beginning at verse 3, he talks about... You've multiplied the nation, God, and this is God doing it. God has multiplied the nation, has increased their, its joy. Um, they rejoice as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. And look at verse 4 and 5 with me. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And he says in verse 5, Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Um, Think with me about the kind of joy and the kind of rejoicing that they're doing in verse 3. See, the joy that they're doing here is celebrating. It's interesting. The word joy appears all over the Old Testament, all over the New Testament. But there are Different words for joy and rejoicing. And one of these rare, more, a little more rare words in the Old Testament for rejoicing is actually better translated to us celebrating, making merry, which is why we say Merry Christmas, because we want people to celebrate Christmas, celebrate Jesus. So we're making merry. And this joy that he's talking about is the kind of joy that a farmer has when the harvest is over and all of the crops are brought in and then the storehouses and they've sold them at the market and they've done all of that stuff and they have a party. And they celebrate what they've done this year. They celebrate the good harvest that they had. And it's the kind of joy that happens when soldiers return from war. They have completed their job. They have defeated the enemy on battle. And at the time that they would do this in the ancient Near East, they would come back with the spoils of war. That was how they got paid. 
<laughs> they didn't get a salary like our soldiers do today, but they got paid when they went and defeated an enemy and brought back all of the spoils of war. And they rejoiced and they celebrated and they had a party. And that's the kind of joy that they're talking about. The joy, the, the rejoicing, the expression of this joy when you're no longer oppressed by your enemy. He says that every boot of the tramping warrior, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That wouldn't happen probably today. Soldiers don't usually come back from war and they burn their gear. <laughs> because, at least in the U.S. Army, they've got to turn it back in in some kind of serviceable condition. But the image there, the image there is that the war is over. Our, we no longer have anyone oppressing us anymore. So the instruments of war, the garments and the, and the boots that we wore in battle... We are going to burn them. We don't need them any longer. We are no longer oppressed by our enemy. That's what Isaiah, that's what the, the prophet is, is ca causing them or telling them to hope in, to rejoice in, to celebrate in, to anticipate because one is coming who is going to take care of all of this oppression for Israel, it meant the oppression of an actual enemy. An enemy like Midian, who um, Gideon fought in the time of the judges. Midian, who um, was, was oppressing Israel at that time. And, and, a, and, a, and a timid, unimportant man named Gideon, who had no confidence in himself whatsoever, was visited by the angel of the Lord and called to raise up an army, to raise up a company, really, um, not an army, but a company, and go out and defeat the enemy. What was going on there, there was a multitude of, of the enemy and there were only a few on his force. Uh, Gideon received a sign a sign from the Lord that God was with him. Um, Gideon was taught that he needed to put his faith in God and not in men. Uh, Gideon was taught, and we are taught through that story, that, that 300 men who are called by the Lord can defeat an army of thousands and thousands. And... That is what we see predicted in this birth announcement. When he says, to us a child is born, a son is given. A son, a child, an insignificant person has come and that has changed everything. A baby has been born in a manger and that changes everything. And now there is no longer oppression. The oppression has ceased as we sang about earlier today. What Jesus came to do was to, to release us from our slavery to an enemy that most of us are not even aware of. And the world is not even aware of. The enemy of souls. 
the enemy who seeks to corrupt, who seeks to deceive, who seeks to control and enslave and oppress us through sin, through temptation, through idols, through false gods, the kinds of idols or gods that we make with our own hands, wealth and, and pleasure and success and all of those things. We do have an enemy, the enemy of sin, the enemy of death, the enemy of the devil himself. And Jesus came to defeat him, to release us from that oppression. In Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul's great letter, he says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the, of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to or slaves of righteousness. And then he asked the question later, further on, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Those are the things that we were enslaved to. Those are the, the, that was sin and, and death. What, what profit were we getting? What fruit was coming into our lives? And he says, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can celebrate we can rejoice that we're no longer oppressed by sin. That the baby came, born in a manger, came to set us free. So what should we do in response? Well, Paul had the idea there. Say no to those things that are oppressing us. Say no to the sin in our lives. Let's not take it for granted. Yes, we have grace. Yes, we have been forgiven. But we don't go back to our slavery after we've been set free. We don't go back into oppression once we have been released from that oppression. We instead commit our ways to obedience before God. And what a, what a beautiful testimony that is during this time of year. Believers who are committed to obeying God, committed to finishing strong, committed to their, their life in Christ. We express joy or we rejoice that we're no longer in darkness, we're in the light. We, we express joy that we're no longer oppressed by sin, but we're set free in order to be obedient to God and His righteousness. And then finally, we rejoice or we, we express this joy, we celebrate because we have a true and lasting King to lead us, to rule us. Look with me again at the, at the last couple of verses here, verse 6 and, six and 7. He says again, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, first of all, notice, notice with me just the, the lasting language, the eternal language, the eternal nature of this true king that is coming to be born as a baby. Of the increase of his government, it says... And of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is a lasting king. This is not a, this is not a president. <clears throat> this is not somebody who's, gonna, who's going to rule or have authority for a period of time and then retire from that and go on to something else. And somebody else will take his place. We're talking about a king. When they thought of the throne of David, they thought of an everlasting kingdom that they longed for, they hoped for. They'd had kings come and go. They'd had good kings and they'd had bad kings. They had had kings who ruled for a long, long time, 50 some odd years, and some who ruled for just a few months. And they said, when, God, are you going to stop the cycle of good and bad, good and bad, or bad and bad, or bad and badder, however you want to look at it? When are we going to have a government that's established in righteousness? That's going to be right, that's going to be just, that's going to give us true and lasting peace? So that we can truly call this person a wonderful counselor. They were longing for a lasting king. One who would, who would rule forever and in righteousness. And that's why he's a true king as well. He, the government says, shall be upon his shoulder. Not the shoulder of the oppressors. And not not under under foreign occupation, but it's going to be on his shoulder, and he is going to have a name. And look what he's going to be called. Here's where the birth announcement gets really specific, where we go, okay, well, what is his name? Well, he's got several names. He's got the name Messiah. He's got the name Emmanuel, God with us. His here he's called a wonderful counselor. He's called mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are names, each one of which um, are names of lasting and eternal significance for them. Mighty God is, is, is uh, in reference to how God was referred to as, as the as a. In fact, he uses the term in the very last line of, this, of verse 7 when he calls him the Lord of hosts. That means he's a God with strength behind him. A God with an army at his disposal. Back to wonderful counselor. It means he's going to be the kind of person who is going to give us true advice. True counselor. It's going to be glorious and wonderful. It's somebody we can depend on. Not like our earthly counselors who are only there at certain hours of the day. Or like your pastor who is only available at certain times and sometimes misses your call. But here's a wonderful counselor who will never leave you, never forsake you. 
He's an everlasting father. Well, wait a minute. I thought he was going to be a son. How can he be the everlasting father? Well, there's the miracle of the incarnation. The miracle of God with us. That he is our true father. Not like our earthly fathers who've let us down. Not like our, our earthly fathers who, who, have, who try really, really hard and fail or haven't tried at all. He's a true everlasting father. He will always love us as a true father should. And then he's called a prince of peace. A prince or a ruler, a leader who brings peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. But the kind of peace that lasts forever. Jesus said it himself when he talked about peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He wanted to make that really clear. I'm not, I'm not going to just give you peace for a time, but I'm going to give you peace for eternity. But check this out. This is something that I think is really amazing. When he says this in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So, he's not only saying that he's going to reign eternally, but his rule his authority, his, the, good, uh, the good that he does is going to continue on. It's going to increase forever. Forever. And then he says it at the very end, and he, and he enforces it with this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So for us, <clears throat> for us, when looking at this and wondering, okay, okay, we're going to have a, a son born here. We're going to have a, 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 a he's going to have a, an everlasting government. We we have a true and lasting King who is coming, the Messiah to rule us. How should that affect us? Well, if we are going to rejoice in those things, we are going to live in the light of the gospel that has shined in our heart. If we are going to commit our ways to obedience to God because we are no longer oppressed by sin in our lives, because if we have a true and lasting King who will, who, nothing will stop Him from coming, nothing will stop His increase, and He will accomplish everything He sets out to accomplish, that should change the way we live our lives. It should cause us to rejoice more greatly. What could possibly keep us from doing what it is that God's called us to do, not only during the Christmas season, not only during this holiday season, but every day of our lives? I've thought about, we've talked about many times, and we, we read earlier in the, in the gathering this morning, there are people who are lost, right? <laughs> there's, there's that image of a, of a, of a shepherd going to find the one sheep because one out of a hundred got lost and he went to find him. Uh, we've got the woman who's, who's seeking after the lost coin. One of her ten coins was lost and she sought for it until she found it. And when she found it, she rejoiced and she celebrated. And there are people around us, and we've, we've taught, we talk about this so often, who are lost in their sins. And we have the light of the gospel in us. We have a true and lasting joy in us as believers in Jesus. And so, knowing that, knowing that, His rule will never end. 
challenges me to keep sharing with others, to keep telling others of my hope in Jesus, even if people don't seem to care. Have you ever stopped praying for somebody because they've told you, I don't care? Have you ever stopped sharing good news with them because they don't care? I've thought about this very, this very week. And the people that are in my life that I've stopped praying for or I've stopped initiating contact with or I've, I've stopped um, sharing the gospel with. And then I, and then I see that, that the, the Son that is coming, the King that we have, the Messiah that we have, His, His rule will never, will never end. His, His government will increase, not decrease. He will accomplish it. He will do it. And if He's going to do it, if He will do it, and He will accomplish all of those things, what is keeping me from being part of that kingdom, part of that increase, part of that advance? That's exactly what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about a time when the Messiah would, would be born, when God Himself would become a little baby, would be born in a manger, born to, to grow, to live, to set the captives free, to defeat sin and death, to shine the light of the gospel in dark places, to establish a lasting government, a lasting kingdom that will never end. It may not feel like it right now, because we still live with the effects of sin and death are all around us. And so, we are still disappointed. We are still tempted and we still fail. We still make mistakes. We still face death. We still feel discouraged. But, but God has done something and He did something more than 2,000 years ago that changed everything for us. Not just for our life today, but for our eternity. We're not made, we were not made to live and die and then be food for worms. We are made to be with our Creator. And the Messiah has given us a way. Let's express great joy in that. Let's throw the kind of parties that other people are going to wonder, why, in, why do these people have so much joy in the midst of so much sorrow. Why, when, why can they still hold on to their faith when bad things have happened to them over and over again? It's not us. It's Jesus. It's His joy. It's the joy of the psalmist when he said in Psalm 16, 11, that He gives us a fullness of joy and He gives us let me get the right phrase. Pleasures forevermore. That's what, that's what the psalmist, uh, or that's what God um, gives us through Jesus. So let's pray and ask for that. Father, I pray that you will <clears throat> enable us to rejoice truly, to express the kind of joy that we can only express when we are brought from darkness to light, when we have, 
when we have been redeemed or, or taken out of, of, of oppression um, from sin and from the enemy of our souls and, and are brought into your kingdom. The kind of joy uh, that can only be expressed when we discover that we have a true and lasting king who will never leave us or forsake us, who will be with us until the end of the age. Jesus, our Messiah. Lord, truly, truly, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of us giving our lives to you, putting our faith in you, and, and, and worthy of us sharing it with others too, the hope that we have. Lord, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.